0: Welcome to Subtitles On. You're here with G. And Fee. And today, we're talking about
1: acquisitions. In this episode, we're really going to be just talking about buying companies for the purpose of growing your existing business. Yeah. Morning, Giselle. Morning, Fee. How are you going? Yeah, good. How are you? Good, good. Busy, busy week we've
0: had, haven't we? We have. I think it's just... I think it's just all picking up full stop. It's in the air. Yeah, there's been a lot going on in the firm and a lot of, I think,
1: that being amongst that in terms of, like... The buzz. The buzz. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, what are we going to be talking about today?
0: So we're M&A lawyers and we thought... We haven't actually spoken about M&A. So what does M&A
1: stand for? It stands quite simply for mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, It's our bread and butter. It's what we love. Yeah, And what does that mean? Buying and selling companies. Yeah. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. I had a friend who has a little side hustle and was looking to just chat a little bit about potentially selling it. And she sent me a text and it said, hey, was wondering if we could talk about M as in the letter and then the little letter N. And then A, uh, and I just thought it was the cutest thing. So often with us as M and lawyers, it's the ampersand in the middle, not the letter N. And I just <laughs> thought this is a perfect kind of thing as to something we take for granted, but was super cute to see in a yeah, text. Because if you only ever hear it colloquially, you might think M&A. it is an A. It's cute. Yeah.
0: So I guess as part of our job, we help people buy and sell businesses companies, assets, et cetera. So as a founder, once you've got kind of money banked away, maybe from your latest capital raise, you might be thinking about ways that you can grow your business. And one of those ways that some startups will consider is acquiring other businesses. You know, it might be a complementary business. It might be a business that's exactly the same. It might be something that's completely going to diversify what you do. But essentially, we just thought it'd be good to kind of chat through the things you got to think about. Because it can be, there's very extremes, obviously, of buying and selling businesses. And so just, I think, trying to keep it efficient and cost effective when you're small is, is really
1: important. There obviously is the other flip side of M&A, where it's, okay, you've kind of made it to where you've wanted to go with the company and then you want to do a full exit and leave the business. And, and that's kind of where we also see mergers and acquisitions pop up. Yeah. But yeah, for today, we're talking about kind of that growth period when you've got some cash and you want to expand in, in potentially a different way rather than just kind of your organic sales revenue.
0: So let's talk about, I guess, the two different types of acquisitions then yeah so you've got share sales and you've got asset sales so let's talk about share sales first so a share sale means so someone says i'm buying the company generally that means that you're buying the shares in the company and therefore you're buying everything that that company owns the issue with the share sale is that there's often more liability there because you're basically you're exposed to anything that the company's is exposed to in terms of a liability sense. So if it had tax liabilities, if it has claims with employees or a supplier or anything like that, it's all, you're potentially exposed to that because you then become the owner of that that company and that company's liability will continue.
1: On the flip side, there's the asset sales, which from the perspective of a buyer is probably a bit more advantageous. And it's exactly for the reason that Giselle just said. You can in an asset sale, pick up the assets essentially from another business and drop them into your own existing company. It means that you don't have to take all of those existing liabilities yep. that might be in there. So if there is a tax liability, you can leave that in that old entity. Yep. You can leave it there. And you just pick up, say, if that you know company or assets that you want to buy has a really great IT platform or exactly. has a really great source code, you can literally just buy that source code. Exactly. You can cherry pick the, the ones, the assets that you want. Now,
0: the complication, though, is that whilst asset sales, I guess, in some ways are simpler mm. in that they leave behind the liabilities, they actually are a little bit more tricky or difficult when it comes to completing because with a company, you literally just hand over a share transfer form and then you've got everything. You very rarely do you need to kind of transfer contracts or employees. We don't have to. And But with an asset sale, kind of you have to actually Every transfer. Every single... All the little asset Mm. is being transferred across. It's
1: basically a a heavy paperwork exercise. (laughs) It is.
0: (laughs) Should we talk about the steps of acquiring and what a transaction kind of looks like?
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. So it can be a really enjoyable process. It's one of the things that we absolutely love. I always say with kind of being an M&A lawyer, we're... Essentially adrenaline junkies because it is very much a exciting, fast paced process. And it can be, it can be really enjoyable. The very first thing that we typically ask a client who is buying a company, but also someone who's selling it is what is the purpose of this? Why are you actually going out and buying and acquiring this company? I think it's actually a question that's really missed very yeah. early on, but is a super important one. Now that can be for a million of, million reasons in, in the context of purchasing. And as we're talking in this podcast for growth reasons, that usually does make sense. However, you want to go even kind of drill deeper and go, okay, you're buying this company for growth purposes, but why this company? Mm. Why these assets? Mm. Why these guys? The reason why is that historically, M&A is not known as being incredibly successful. There's a lot of failure rates in M&A. And the reason I think a lot of it comes down to is you didn't ask those upfront questions. There's a lot of, when you do acquire another business, it means they're coming into your business. You can have issues around culture and integration that perhaps if you didn't ask in the upfront and drill down as to why that specific company was was right for you or their values aligned with yours and whatnot, if you took a little bit of time at the front, suggest it can probably help carry through the rest of the the deal. Yeah. So that is what I'd say is step 1.
0: Yeah. And I guess just to close off that the failure of m and I mean what what's what fees really talking about there is it's a transaction that hasn't failed in the mm. sense that it has actually completed. But I guess objectively when people have gone back to assess whether or not, you know, that merger of two entities or the acquisition of assets did that achieve what they were setting out to achieve, yes or no. And very often, I think people think that an acquisition will go much better than it does. I think one of the big issues is often cultural alignment and how you get two businesses that previously didn't operate together to then suddenly work together, et cetera. You can also have issues, you know, for example, if you've got a founder of a business and then you're trying to get them to be just as motivated in your business. And then suddenly, you know, you're their boss that can cause issues. I mean, most of the time it's just people issues because Mm. most things in the world are people (laughs) issues, but... (laughs) Exactly. but that's kind of what what it's all about and so yeah really being clear what would what is it about this that would i would say that would make this a success and therefore what do we need to look at in particular to make sure that that happens and part of that is making sure you acquire what you think you're acquiring because that's really important and that's where we kind of come into it but then separately there might be discussions that you need to have with you know change managers or kind of strategy people where they talk about how you integrate you know businesses and things like that so there's a there's a few different um, fields of expertise that you can call on um, for that.
1: And so I guess just expanding on that once you've worked out your purpose and why you're doing it, when do you think it's appropriate to engage your lawyers and your accountants and, and whatnot?
0: Yeah, I mean, look,
1: I think when we're talking about
0: this this stage of acquisition and like this is this is not, we're not talking about somewhere where you are going out and engaging a big corporate advisory firm or a big investment bank to basically have a mandate to go out and find you a business. This is generally you've identified a target and you've probably been talking to the founder you're mm. you've been in chats with them so that you're not engaging your advisors to assist in that kind of identification yeah. process. I guess it's more once you've you've probably got a gentleman's or gentlewoman's. Mm agreement about what the terms are now you might not even have a term sheet at that stage and we'll talk about that in a second but it's probably around that time that we would normally see a client come to us and say hey look I've been chatting to blah this is what we're thinking yeah can you help us pull together a term sheet or you might already have a term sheet that you've pulled together
1: so then that's kind of your your stage two or three depending on when you've engaged someone but is essentially that term sheet yeah And we help a lot with term sheets. Really, all they are is a very short form set of terms on a piece of paper, really, that just set out main things like your purchase price, whether it is that asset sale or share sale. If it is a asset sale, what assets you're actually buying, if if there's any deferred payments. So maybe you pay a bit upfront and a bit later on. So kind of your main things that you're setting out. I guess one of the things to be conscious of is often term sheets, the typical view for a term sheet is that it would be non-binding, except for potentially a few kind of terms like confidentiality. The reason why it's non-binding is that it just doesn't have the detail to kind of create that binding relationship between the parties so you're really just saying hey as an initial chat let's put some of these agreement these terms down on a piece of paper. Yeah and we intend
0: to now engage lawyers Mm. to pull together full form documents and those documents will have what the agreed terms are in them. So yeah and then I guess from the buyer's perspective once you have a term sheet you would generally then probably start to do due diligence. Sometimes it's the other way around. Yeah. Like, I mean, the first thing that probably a seller would say to you is, okay, well, you can't do any DD until you've signed an NDA, so you you might sign your NDA, but then they'll give you some information about the business. And again, what level of information you need is kind of going to be driven by whether or not it's an asset sale or a share sale. Yeah. obviously if it's a share sale as we explained before it's there's a lot more risk you're taking on all the liabilities and so you kind of want to just be more comfortable about what those liabilities are yeah where a company's not too old generally that's going to be an easier quicker exercise because it's not going to be as much to go through but obviously for a, a, an older company that's going to be a more costly exercise and again it just comes down to I think focusing on what the the key areas of risk are and and a lawyer you know can. Cont- can generally give you a due diligence list which will kind of help you kind of
1: frame the questions that you need to ask the seller usually in those dd checklists i suppose it as g said you know kind of depends on the the structure but the kind of questions usually are covering off things like your corporate structure you know, who are your shareholders, that kind of thing, yeah. your IT, your IP, your yeah. intellectual property going through, depending the accounts, if particularly if it's a share sale. Yeah. But yeah, they're kind of that broad range bit of topics that you kind of want to get comfortable that you get the company. Of course, asking questions about customers and and how their you know fees work yeah all of that stuff and so then yeah once I guess you're comfortable with the
0: due diligence and then at that point you know you're you're kind of saying all right let's let's, let's go this. to the cost and expense of engaging lawyers to pull together long-form documents for an asset sale the agreement is an asset sale agreement <laughs> and for, complex yeah it is and for a share sale it's a share sale agreement um, very similar, except that obviously what's being sold in one is the assets and the other the shares. But otherwise, I guess one of the key things as the buyer is, well, what warranties are you kind of asking the
1: seller to give in relation to either the assets or the shares? And, and if we just unpack the term warranties, because I think it can sometimes sound a bit daunting as a legal term, but it's actually not too crazy of a concept. Really all what we're saying is that The buyer is asking the seller to warrant or promise that the business is in the particular state of the business that it says it's in. So you're saying, hey, I warrant that I own the IP or the company owns the IP or I warrant that the shares are owned by the people that the shares are owned by. It really is just a list of promises to establish the state of the company.
0: And I guess one thing to just be aware of, is if you've done due diligence mm. that normally those warranties are qualified as against whatever has been disclosed to you. So what that means is, you know, for example, like as Fee gave the example, they've said, I own all of the IP. But in their disclosure documents, they've actually said, hey, actually, I don't own it. Peter owns it.
1: Our developer Peter owns Peter it. Peter owns it.
0: Now, you can't then bring a claim against them for that.
1: Because um, you've seen it, you've and seen it, you've seen it. They've yeah. told you. Yeah. He owns it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: Unless it was, you know, maybe on a piece of paper at size six font, <laughs> then I would argue that's not been fairly disclosed and was <laughs> hidden. But, but yeah, certainly that's kind of something to keep in
1: mind. It is the yeah. That's exactly the interplay between that due diligence kind of exercise and then the long form documents. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. All right. So you've signed these beautiful long-form documents. What happens next? This is my favorite part of a transaction. Yeah, because you're a completer. I'm a completer.
0: (laughs) Well, it really depends. So some deals have conditions. And if there's conditions in the deal, then what normally happens is you'll sign the agreement and then there's a period of time between signing it and completing that the parties have to com- to basically satisfy those conditions and upon the satisfaction of those conditions. So, for example, you might need approval from your landlord to assign a lease in an asset sale. And so you're waiting. You both want to talk to the landlord and you're waiting for that approval to come through. As soon as that comes through, then generally then you'll move to completion. Now, some deals don't have any conditions at all. And so with those deals, you'll often sign and complete on the same day.
1: So at completion, what happens, Fee? So completion really is basically the act of transferring title in return for whatever consideration it is that you're giving. Yeah. So if you're the buyer... In, in this scenario, that's who we're, we're talking to. It's a little bit easier from your side because you're basically just handing over the cash. For the sellers, it's a little bit more complex because what they need to deliver to you as the buyer is a bunch of the documents that gives you confidence that you're actually getting what you're paying for. Yeah. What we usually see in the share sale side of things is the most important one is something like the share transfer form. That is the actual asset that you're saying I need to have in my hands before I give you the cash. Again, just to hark back to the asset sales being a little bit more complex just from a paperwork perspective is that you then have to kind of see a transfer for each one of those assets. But yeah, so the the whole act of closing or completing a deal is really that transfer of the paperwork to feel that you've got the ownership and control of what you're buying in return for that cash.
0: All right, so let's talk about some tips and tricks, I guess, where people yeah. might get caught up in their first few acquisitions. Yep. So, so I, I guess one thing is ensuring that you're getting what it is that you need. I think that's a really important thing. Yeah. Um and to really understand what exactly either the asset is or what what are you paying for essentially? Yeah. And what does the the whatever the price is, what does that value? Now, you know, often I'll see someone, for example, buy a company, but actually the company's—it's not the company; it's the person in the company mm-hmm. that they need. Mm-hmm. And so it's ensuring that there's like a an incentive to keep on whoever that person and have them, whether it's somehow tied to the consideration or you know they're made to work or they're incentivized to work for a longer period of time and kind of dealing with that. I think that's really important.
1: Absolutely, and and just kind of following on from that, I'd say open communication with the seller is really important. Yeah. Particularly in this kind of uh, stage of acquisition for growth purposes. It isn't it should be kind of an or, like an organic and mutual conversation that you're having. That said there can be some spicy times during negotiations. However, we are all really working towards the same thing mm-hmm. and it's really nice to make sure that it is actually the same thing that everyone's working towards. So being really open and honest as to, as Giselle said, saying, actually, this is more about making sure we get the founder to come into our business and help run it just as well as they run their own. Yeah, and Being really clear and upfront about that yeah. um, can, I think, really help progress it in a, in a in a useful way. I think the other thing
0: that's really important, there can be a lot of excitement that goes mm. along with a deal. And I think also a lot of fatigue. You can get deal fatigue and towards the end, you might just start saying, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yes. I think it's quite important to kind of just take a step back and take a breather and just make sure again that look, if there have been any risks that are identified, that they're actually dealt with appropriately and that you don't go, oh, it'll be fine. You know, I trust this person, blah, blah, blah. I just, I've seen so many yeah. deals kind of not work out based on being rushed at the end
1: absolutely and that again just flowing from that i think often and particularly at this stage founders or whoever is buying sitting there as a purchaser and buying the company at a potentially early stage where they're not familiar with acquisitions, will rely incredibly heavily on their counsel, on their um, advisors, which on the one hand certainly makes sense. However, what I would say is do try and understand the process and do try and engage because mm-hmm. it's really easy for us to go, oh, yeah, that's market standard. Let's flip it through the door as per usual kind of practice. But every deal's different. And there is certainly it makes the process a lot easier and more likely successful if you're engaged with it and kind of take a good leading role and work with your advisors. We we absolutely love it. Yeah.
0: And maybe the last one is just around price. Just yeah. realising that I guess there is a connection between the risk and the price and the value. I mean, not in all all instances, but I guess sometimes to the extent that you can't actually get comfortable with something through due diligence. And if you're dealing with someone who maybe, you know, the idea of bringing a warranty claim against them in a few years isn't actually going to stack up, i.e. this person potentially has no assets or, you know, you can't withhold this payment from them etc cetera, etc cetera, then one way to deal with it is an adjustment to the price yeah um, the other way to deal with it is to say well hold on let's hold part of that consideration back okay there's an issue we've identified so for so long as we can get comfortable let's give ourselves two years to get comfortable when we're in that business and then we'll pay you that final kind of payment of the consideration so there's, there's ways to deal with it, but I think that's just something to kind of, again, not not brush any risks you do identify under the rug and to kind of deal with them in one of the mechanisms. Yeah, I was going to say, that. I
1: think that's a great, huge tip is that you are not locked in necessarily to your initial chats about what that deal might look like. It is very much a moving beast. And if you're not right. comfortable with something, that's completely fine. There are a million ways in which we can deal with it through the structure of the actual deal itself. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, if you're looking to acquire a company, you know how to come to. (laughs) So I think that's it for us for today. Of course, if you have any questions, just hit us up on the website, subtitleson.com.